The Human Podcast features weekly service audio from the Unitarian Universalist Metro Atlanta North Congregation of Roswell, Georgia. Please visit us at human.org. I'm Greg Wagoner, a member of this congregation, and on behalf of Reverend Dave Dunn, our Director of Religious Exploration, Lexi Tagney-Brown, Music Director Alex Peach, and my fellow worship associates, and the dedicated technical team that is making today's live stream possible, I would like to welcome you to the Unitarian Universalist Metro Atlanta North Congregation, which we lovingly call Human. And isn't it nice, so nice, to be back in our sanctuary this week. It is beautiful. We are a liberal faith community with the mission to nurture our spirit, strive for justice, and transform the world. No matter who you are, who you love, or where you are on your spiritual journey, you are welcome here. We have a few adult enrichment offerings this morning, uh, and please refer to your order of service for the class locations, including Water is the Source of Life with Aaron Pincus. Join us for a brief look at how we can manage water as a precious resource if we allow water to sink into the ground where we are. Conventional water management treats uh, treats nuisance and something to be diverted away from development. We see water as a source of life and create systems for water to infiltrate and nourish the land. We will look at examples of the work we do with rainwater, shades of green permaculture, and maybe take a brief walk around your church land, our church land, to observe, interact, and envision future possibilities of rainwater harvesting and create beneficial ecosystems. That's immediately after the service. The woods are calling you. Take a hike and two photos for the photo contest. You can send those photos to communications deputy at human.org by Earth Day, April 22nd. This is a full participation event, and all ages are encouraged. <laughs> Youth religious education, second hour, will be led by Jennifer Philippi in uh, Discovery Hall. Uh, and Amanda, get some announcements. Good morning. Hi, I'm Amanda Brawley, and we have a software that we use like an online directory way to keep up with church events and, and stuff like that. And it is called Breeze, okay? And we have been doing some what I call boot camps, but don't, don't be scared by that. It's just a way to learn how to use it. We do ask that you have um, a, a tablet or a laptop because you will want to get online onto the Wi-Fi here to um, learn how to use that software. But that's going to be today after, during the second hour Sunday school after service. It's going to be in this other building over here. So uh, join us, please, if you can, so you can get up to date on how to use that um, tool. Thank you. And then Donna Melcher.
This flute is calling you to the Spring Revival on April 28th, 29th, and 30th. It is a human event of awe and wonder. And it won't be the same without your magic and your magic and your magic and your magic on the live stream. and everybody's magic. So I hope you'll be there. Good morning. Um, I'm Lori Wheeler. I'm here to make an announcement for the summer RE program. But first of all, I was just thinking on the way over here, and I don't know why, but do you remember in the 70s when they were talking about subliminal advertising, like where they would flash something up? And, you know, it would get in your mind. I don't, I don't know why I was talking about that. I don't even know if it works. But, um, <laughs> and I'm certainly not trying to brainwash anybody or hypnotize you to sign up for anything. <laughs> but I am here to talk about the Summer RE program. Um, we have dedicated teachers who work hard all year teaching curriculum to the kids. And in the summer, we want to give them a break. We really want to thank them and give them a break. So, um, we have sent out a summer sign-up so that you can sign up to have fun this summer. There's no curriculum. We do car washes. We do gardening, game day, cartoons and popcorn, paper airplane contest, anything that suits your fancy. Um, it would be great fun, and all you need is a partner and an idea. And if you don't have that, all we need is you. We can find you a partner to work with. We can give you an idea. We can set you up with supplies. We will be fully prepared to help you out. So the sign-up is going to be coming out today. So watch your email. And when it comes out, I hope that you will all sign up. lived in another climate, our souls might speak other languages. We might speak oasis or permafrost, dry season or monsoon. But our souls speak spring. Our souls speak green shoots pushing through last year's leaves. Our souls speak flower buds, buds stretching to the sun. Our souls speak mud puddle and nest building damp earth and worm castings, tiny green leaves and frog choruses. We speak spring because spring sings in us. We gather to nurture our faith in our own growing, our own courage to push through, our own blossoming and beauty, our own small part in the spring of this world. Come, let us worship together. And now let us light our chalice together. We light this chalice for the web of life which sustains us, for the sacred circle of life in which we have our being, for the earth, the sky, above and below, and for our mother earth, and for the mystery. And now if you can turn in your teal hymnal, 
to number 1068. President Barack Obama's decision in 2010 to install White House solar panels pleased environmentalists, but he wasn't the first president to take advantage of alternative forms of energy atop the living quarters at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. As writer Tom Merce documents in A Brief History of White House Solar Panels, the first solar panels were placed on the White House more than 30 years before by President Jimmy Carter. He installed 32 solar panels on the presidential mansion amid the Arab oil embargo, which had caused a national crisis. He called for a campaign to conserve energy and to set an example to the American people. Carter ordered the solar panels erected in 1979. At the inauguration ceremony of the installation of the panels, President Carter is quoted as saying, a generation from now, the solar heater can either be a curiosity a museum piece, an example of a road not taken, or it can be a small part of one of the greatest and most exciting adventures ever undertaken by the American people, harnessing the power of the sun to enrich our lives as we move away from our crippling dependence on foreign oil. Their installation was seen largely as symbolic, though they did heat some water for the White House laundry and cafeteria. President Ronald Reagan took office in 1981, and sadly, the solar panels were removed during his administration. It was clear Reagan had completely different take on energy consumption. Author Natalie Goldstein wrote in The Global Warming, Reagan's political philosophy viewed that the free market as best was the best arbiter of what was good for the country. Corporate self-interest, he felt, would steer the country in the right direction. To give credit where credit is due, George W. Bush may not have restored Carter's panels to the White House roof, but he did install the first system to provide the grounds with some solar-generated electricity on the roof of the grounds maintenance building. And in 2003, he installed two solar systems, one to heat the pool in spa water and one for just plain hot water. As of today, the White House solar panels installed under the Obama administration do remain in place. While President Donald Trump kept them there, he used executive orders to roll back many progressive policies on climate change mitigation and renewable energy incentives, including those developed by the Obama administration. 45 years after President Carter's bold move, it's clear we have much work to do in the US to encourage alternative energy. In 1991, Unity College, an environmentally-minded center of learning in Maine, acquired the panels and later installed them on their cafeteria roof. The panels were retrieved from a government storage, think Indiana Jones, because that's really what it was like, by the college, and with the help of Academy Award-winning actress Glenn Close, half the panels were refurbished and used to heat, heat the water um, and for the cafeteria. As President Carter predicted, the solar panels can now be seen today at museums and show houses around the world, including the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History, the Museum of Modern Art, the Carter Library, and most recently at a historic home in Roswell, Georgia. 
Five years ago, Friends of Mimosa Hall and Gardens, a nonprofit which many members of Human Support, as well as serve on its board, secured the loan of one of the original White House solar panels from Unity College for display at Mimosa. We contacted President Carter's longtime executive assistant to relay it was at Mimosa, across from his aunt Sissy's home, which many of you may know is called by locals as the Carter's Roswell White House, as it was where the president announced his campaign in 1976. We reached out again when we received approval to install the solar integrated system and our first Earth Day when the grounds were officially opened. The director of the Carter Center shared that she had spoken to him that week and he thought the work we were doing was great, which is how we knew it was a true quote. <laughs> she didn't make it up. She just said it was great. President Carter has been a great inspiration for our alternative energy at Mimosa Hall and Gardens, which is currently in the process of being certified as the oldest net zero home in the country, and thanks to our solar integrated roof. We plan to honor President Carter by permanently installing the panel on the grounds along with the story of his place in history leading the way in solar. For further information, a little PSA, please check out our display board um, in the foyer with a photo of the Carter family on the front steps of Mosa visiting the Hansel family who owned it for many years. Of all the things that we have accomplished together at Human, I personally rate our participation at Mimosa, as well as the recent installation of our own solar panels here at Human, making Human the first and only Roswell Church to do so as a fine example of a little church doing big things. May both projects be a beacon of inspiration to continue pushing ourselves, our community, and the world to a greener and brighter future for all. At this point in our service, we share our joys with each other to magnify them and our sorrows to divide the weight of their pain. If you are so moved, please feel free to come forward and drop a pebble in the bowl and express a joy or a sorrow that you may have. Uh, for those of you attending via our live stream, if you have a joy or a sorrow that you would like to share this morning, please type it into the chat. Good morning, my name is Jennifer Ratcliffe. I have two pebbles of joy. Um, this week was uh, a special birthday for Hayden Brown back there. So uh, happy to celebrate him. Uh, and also this week on Monday, a child, a girl was born to Janelle Heller and Adam Fajardo there. Former members of this congregation, they had a little girl, Kala Luce. So if you need more information about them, please see me after the service. Hi. I have a joy that actually I've had for several months. And I think a lot of you found out for the first time this week that the church is hosting a meeting in the sanctuary every Friday evening for a Heroines Anonymous group. This is a group of north of 50 people who come 
for support and fellowship to practice 12 steps and to stay in recovery. And my daughter and my son-in-law have both been attending this, excuse me, this meeting for several years and they both have almost four years in recovery, which for some of you old timers know what, what we all went through. Um, so I just wanna say it's my joy that, that the church is doing this service. It literally, and I mean literally, saves people's lives. And it means so much to them and they are so grateful because I hear it from not just my daughter and son-in-law, but some of the other members so or attendees. So thank you so much. Hi, my name is Chris Wilson, and my family and I are members here. I have a joy that I would love to share. We had a wonderful Celtic dance party on Friday night. <laughs> It was fantastic. Many of those who participated are here today. So thank you to all who were able to participate. We had 16 intrepid dancers who danced for over two and a half hours on some complicated dancing. And it wasn't too hard. What I'd like to encourage everyone, if we do it next year, I hope we do, if we do it next year, anybody can participate. And so the pebble of joy is in hopes that you will all participate and we can just fill this uh, sanctuary next year as well. Thank you. I'm Carolyn Lee and I'm gonna drop uh, two pebbles for members. Um, Bev Jordan, whose husband Steve passed away this week and memorial service is tomorrow here at 4.30. And this is for John Wheeler, who's been struggling. He's been in and out of the hospital a lot. Um, just keep him in his th your thoughts. He's supposed to be going to Costa Rica in a couple of weeks for his daughter's wedding, and we're hopeful that he'll be able to make it. I'm Denise Wilson, and I'm a member here, and I have a joy I would love to share. You can see my um, Xerces Society shirt. This is the nonprofit that I volunteer with, which is science-based conservation of invertebrates around the world. They do amazing work, and I'm so excited. This is the month I actually get to kick off doing pollinator education and outreach, and I have a pretty full schedule. So I'm, I wouldn't say I'm nervous, but I'm energized, and I hope I make it through everything. <laughs> Thank you. And we have some from our live stream. Steve Allerton has a concern about an impending tooth implant. Uh, his first consultation is tomorrow afternoon. Michelle Goldie uh, has a joy. Uh, thanks to Chris and Denise for a fantastic Kalida on Friday night. I had the best time. Uh, and Tanya says, sorrow for two families close to me, a friend who has chosen to discontinue treatment for cancer and enter hospice. Um, it, they fought for 18 months. And a dear friend whose husband is beginning his cancer treatment. And one final pebble for all those joys and sorrows still too tender to escape the folds of our hearts. Let us keep one another in our thoughts for the coming week.
Good morning, everybody. Good morning. My name is Rosaline Xiong, and I am the program fellow at Georgia Interfaith Power and Light. We are an environmental justice nonprofit. We are faith-based and interfaith. Um, and today I will be reading The Sun. It's a poem by Mary Oliver. Have you ever seen anything in your life more wonderful than the way the sun every evening, relaxed and easy, floats toward the horizon and into the clouds or the hills or the rumpled sea and is gone? And how it slides again out of the blackness every morning on the other side of the world, like a red flower streaming upward on its heavenly oils say, on a morning in early summer at its perfect imperial distance. And have you ever felt for anything such wild love? Do you think there is anywhere in any language a word billowing enough for the pleasure that fills you as the sun reaches out, as it warms you, as you stand there empty-handed? Or have you too turned from this world? Or have you, too, gone crazy for power, for things? I was nine when I first learned about global warming. In fourth grade, I started reading my parents' subscription to Time magazine, and I can still distinctly remember the article describing the effects of greenhouse gases on the planet. To be honest, I understood maybe half of the article. I had to ask my dad what carbon dioxide was. But I can remember the fear and confusion I felt learning about the damage we were doing to the Earth. The carbon emissions that power our cars, our cities, and our lives have made the sun harmful to us by trapping its radiation in the atmosphere. We are seeing this manifest across the globe. Deserts are expanding as previously fertile areas dry up. Polar ice is melting and sea levels are rising. Weather disasters are becoming increasingly common as our climate changes in ways that we have never seen. But this warming is also affecting our individual day-to-day -day lives by harming our homes, our communities, and our neighbors. We are seeing all of this happen here in our own state of Georgia. Communities across the coast are facing a huge uptick in natural disasters caused by Earth's changing climate. As temperatures rise, Georgia Power, Georgia's monopoly utility, is continuing to invest in fossil fuel infrastructure and natural gas power plants that will produce even more harmful greenhouse gases. And as this is happening, the Public Service Commission, which is meant to regulate their activities and protect ratepayers approved a proposal that will allow Georgia Power to raise their rates, increasing their income by about $1.8 billion through 2025, making it more expensive for people to cool their homes will make it more likely that they will suffer from heat-related illnesses, and it will disproportionately hurt Georgians with the least resources. Add to that the fact that the EPA predicts that a warmer Earth will lead to more droughts across Georgia, potentially leading to devastating crop failures. 
These stories make it so incredibly clear how much our disrespect of the sun's power is hurting those around us, especially the populations that are the most vulnerable. So why do we, as a society, continue to choose to go down this path towards an increasingly dangerous and damaged Earth? Mary Oliver asks us if we have turned from this world, if we have gone crazy for power, for things. And as I look around us at the disconnect between us and the natural world, I can't help but answer yes. We know that the true perpetrators of climate change are greed and theft. Capitalism perpetuates ideals of unsustainable growth. It tries to make us believe that we can take and take and take from the earth without consequences. This disregard for the earth has manifested in a world where we have turned the divine power of the sun into something harmful, something dangerous. This poem offers us a distinct challenge. Have we forsaken our connection to the divine and gone crazy for power and for things? Or is there another way? What if we were to acknowledge how wonderful the constancy of the sun is? How it rises and sets every day? What if we took the time to appreciate how it feels to stand outside facing the sun, allowing its warmth to fill our bodies. A decade after I first learned about global warming when I was 19, I took a weekend trip with a friend to Big Bend National Park in West Texas. It was the first trip I had ever taken without my parents, and I marveled at the fact that I could just decide to go on a trip without asking anybody for permission. We arrived at the park two hours before nightfall and put, put together our tent as the sun was setting. We shared a dinner of Ritz crackers, peanut butters, and half a cucumber each as we watched the sun's last rays paint the Texas sky hues of red, orange, and pink. In the morning, we woke up at 4 a.m. and groggily packed up our campsite. We drove to an overlook just outside of the Boquillas Canyon and watch the sun rise over the Rio Grande. As the sunlight crept over the desert landscape, I found that I could not help but cry from awe, from gratitude, from love. That sunrise was one of the most spiritual experiences of my life. And it was also the moment that I knew from the depths of my heart that our world is worth fighting for, that our world is worth saving. What would it look like for us to honor our relationship with the sun? I think we would have to start, as Mary Oliver suggests, by acknowledging what gifts the sun gives us with its consistency, its warmth, and its power. The sun's warmth keeps our Earth warm enough to sustain life across the planet. Georgia's native plants, which represent some of our best defenses against climate change, rely on the sun for nourishment, as do the crops we grow to feed our communities. And solar energy is one of the most reliable 
and accessible sources of renewable energy. These are the gifts that our faith communities call us to protect. I know that this congregation has already started working towards this goal. Earlier this week, I heard about the work that this congregation has put into preserving Mimosa Hall, a historic venue here in Roswell, and making it more sustainable for future generations. And just within this past year, this congregation has worked with us at Georgia Interfaith Power and Light to install solar panels on the roof above us right now. But we can't stop there. We have to fight the ways that we as a society have gone crazy for power and for things. As spiritual people, we have the power to challenge these impulses both within ourselves and in the society we live in. The seventh Unitarian Universalist principle calls us to respect the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. I think this call includes all of us who call the earth home. We must fight for justice for ourselves, our communities, and especially those among us who are most vulnerable. But we must also fight for justice for every living thing on this planet, the birds, the trees, the fish. Because we know that all living things depend on each other for survival. This knowledge of the earth and of the worthiness of all beings is sacred. And as a community of faith, our work is to spread this sacred knowledge. By doing so, we can bring a uniquely moral voice to this conversation at large. As a collective, our voices have power that we lack as individuals. And to protect our earth, we need to use that power to challenge systems of oppression and exploitation at every level. And we need to make sure that this conversation isn't just confined to this one service a year. This fight has to stay with us every week, both on Sundays and in between Sundays, because we are called to seek this justice for the earth, for the sun, and for each other every day. And we are called to seek it in every aspect of our lives. There are undeniable forces in our society that ask us to turn away from the world of nature towards the world of power and things. But I also know that we have another choice. When we come together as a community of faith, we can slow the progress of global warming. We can make the world around us a more just and equitable place. And we can stand together basking in the sun's warmth and hold on to the glory of knowing that it will continue to nurture us tomorrow, the day after that, and forever. Amen.
For Earth Day, our 50-50 offering recipient is the Georgia Interfaith Power and Light, or GIPL. They equip faith communities across the state of Georgia to care for creation through worship education and the stewardship of natural resources. Since its founding in 2003, GIPL has partnered with over 500 congregations to help them reduce their energy consumption costs and implement earth care initiatives. This year, GIPL awarded Human a $3,500 grant for improved installation in the fellowship hall. Lowering our carbon footprint and energy costs, your contribution goes directly towards providing more grants like this to houses of worship across Georgia. With this, we will now take the offering. You may also give using the Givelify app. Wake up, people. It's 2023. The facts are undeniable. From the media to corporations to yes, even your own friends and family, a lie has been perpetrated without recourse. It seems that everyone is in the thrall of this obvious falsehood. The science is settled. There can be no more debating. That's right. You know what I'm talking about. Climate change. Deniers. They don't exist. That's right. I'm a climate change denier, denialist. I don't believe in people that don't believe in climate change. <laughs> climate change deniers are a hoax perpetrated by foreign governments in order to sow divisions within our ranks. Everyone who claims to deny climate science is actually a rogue AI chatbot. <laughs> think for yourselves, people. And yes, by think for yourselves, I obviously mean adopt my very specific point of view. <laughs> think about it. Have you ever seen a climate change denier with your own eyes? Have you ever talked to one at a party? <laughs> I don't think so. You're telling me that someone could look at irrefutable climate science and come to a conclusion other than, other than the consensus? Get out of here. Now, sure, the vast majority of experts do agree that there are some climate change deniers out there, that there are people who genuinely refuse to acknowledge climate science. But I recently found a scientist drinking the kombucha in my basement, and he says the complete opposite. I mean, just last week, I went downstairs to visit him, and I said, hey, Doc, this climate change stuff has got me kind of worried. Climate change deniers don't actually exist, do they? And he said, yeah, John, sure, whatever you say. You got any more kombucha for me? I mean, come on. Everybody at least believes the climate is changing, right? Like, they might draw different conclusions based off the facts, but at least we can all agree on the one underlying fact that the climate is changing due to human activity, right? we can at least sit down and acknowledge one simple fact to agree on and then disagree from that one point instead of going back to that one point over and over again. Like, I was spending time with a friend of mine. We respect each other, but we understand that it's best if we don't discuss politics. I think you know what I mean. But he turned to me one day and he said, John, I don't like that there are microplastics in the deer I hunt. This guy gets it. Look, I'll be real with you all. I've had a lot of conversations that have made me challenge my beliefs. And I do admit that there is some possibility of climate change deniers actually existing. But the core of the issue is this. I don't want it to be real. The uh, and as a result, I get to pick my own reality, my own beliefs, and how they will affect me. We can have disagreements in substance about all sorts of things, from sports opinions to the issues that our grandchildren will face. And we can have disagreements in style, that we have a preference for something that we can't even put into words. 
But no one is contra to every one of your views. We can find the spot between two people that connects them and build out from that connection to wrap sustaining vines around the first roots that appear between. And on the bow between two people, perhaps understanding can grow. First about what a team should do with their draft pick, and then maybe bigger issues that will vex us until we work together to bring about the results our world's needs. I believe in the power of the individual, but more than that, I believe in the collective power we wield as a congregation and as Unitarian Universalists. Our ability to respect people with different opinions than ours puts us in the unique position of being able to connect with those same people. Between all the UU congregations in Atlanta, we're about a thousand strong. I believe we can foster growth in our city and state. I am reaching outside the circle. I believe our UU brothers and sisters in Atlanta want the same thing we want in Roswell. I invite you all to reach outside the circle with me. We all want clean air. We all want clean water. And we all want clean food. We all care about our families. Find that common ground. Stand firmly on it. And we will extend our reach. Thank you. Now turn to hymn number 1064 in your teal hymnals.
We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we carry in our hearts until we are together again. May we see all as it is, and may it all be as we see it. May we be the ones to make it as it should be. For if not us, who? If not now, when? This is, the ans this is answering the cry of justice with the work of peace. This is redeeming the pain of history with the grace of wisdom. This is the work we are all called to do, and this is the call we answer now to be the barrier and the bridge, to be the living embodiment of our principles, to be about the work of building the beloved community, to be a people of intention and a people of conscience. Thank you. Go in peace. Unitarian Universalist Metro Atlanta North Congregation of Roswell, Georgia, thanks you for listening to The Human Podcast. Background music, courtesy of Tim Moore from Pixabay. <laughs>